for joining me for this episode of the Bully Pew Podcast, brought to you by Protestia.com, all of our wonderful patron supporters who for only $5.95 a month make this podcast and Protestia Tonight and all of the helpful and apprising news collection we do at Protestia.com possible. Um, you can join them on a uh, we, and join us on a financial level for only $5.95 a month. That's a, a couple cups of coffee in most places for only $5.95 a month by going over to patreon.com forward slash protestia if what we do is of benefit to you. Now, of course, we always say that before you contribute money to this parachurch ministry or any other that you are a loving, giving, serving, faithful member of your local New Testament church and that you are of course financially taking care of your family and all of your all of your financial responsibilities that should be placed above this one but if you have a few extra dollars every month uh, we would certainly appreciate it and um, it's $5.95 a month you can also uh, do $19.95 a month which will get you access to the Bulldogmatic Bible Study which is happening tonight Thursday nights at 6.30 Mountain Time uh, we quote unquote gather on Zoom and study the Word of God and pray for one another and are in each other's lives and, and it's it's a that's uh, a wonderful time um, I always say if $19.95 a month is beyond um, what you can um, commit to support but you'd like to join us on the Bible study we would still love to have you send me a message I'm not hard to get a hold of I'll make sure that you get access to it and we can see you there on Thursday nights and I I promise I will not tell anybody that you are joining just for the uh, the Bible study and not supporting uh, at 1995 a month because frankly the support is not important but the study of the Bible very much is and that's what we are there to do um, anyway you are driving with me on now a clear and sunny day through metropolitan Denver um, on my way to work and this is this is the time that we spend uh, just talking on uh, you know sort of off the cuff about the latest um, happenings or the latest um, doctrinal uh, issues that have come to the fore in evangelical Christianity from the perspective of the uh, pew sitter as I am. So rather than being a, a pastoral program per se or intended for pastors first and foremost, it is intended for pew sitters. That being the case, I hope and pray and I'm confident that there are pastors that also listen to this program that uh, listen to Protestia tonight that read Protestia to keep themselves and their congregations apprised of what is going on out there. The the big issue leading up to uh, next week, which is the 2023 SBC annual meeting, the Southern Baptist Convention gathers uh, as a convention. It really, technically speaking, only exists as a convention two days out of the year. So Tuesday and Wednesday in June. Um, Southern Baptist Convention messengers. So these are members of Southern Baptist churches cooperating with the convention. They they send messengers. So they they elect and you know, however the church wants to do it, they do it and they send they send messengers to the convention to vote on offices and resolutions and amendments and all the other business that's brought before the convention for two days a year. That's happening this coming week, this coming Tuesday and Wednesday. I will be there uh, with my white protestia hat, so hopefully you can 
pick me out of the crowd if you want to come up and say hi or you know take a picture or something like that we can that, that would be awesome I would love to meet as many of you uh, in person as we can as we can uh, figure out <laughs> um, but that's happening next week and the big the big um, issue going into all of it is Saddleback Church, along with a couple others. It's Saddleback and there's a couple other, uh, Fern Creek, I believe is one of them, a couple other Southern Baptist churches that have been deemed to be not in friendly cooperation with the Southern Baptist Convention because um, of their woman pastors. I put that in scare quotes because a pastor cannot be a woman by definition of the office and term. Um, but Saddleback and these other churches have women pastors, have been deemed by the Credentials Committee and um, subsequently the Executive Committee to not be in friendly cooperation, are appealing the decision. You can appeal this decision to the convention itself, to the gathered messengers, who apparently, I guess, will vote on whether to uh, change the decision made by the Credentials Committee and the Executive Committee. Uh, we'll see that that's happening I believe on Tuesday afternoon the first day in the afternoon and Rick Warren has been going around social media um, basically campaigning for the decision to disfellowship Saddleback to be overturned and I've said I said this before in in pro, on uh, protesting tonight I'm not sure why he's doing it other than just plain narcissism because Rick Warren and Saddleback Church and that whole network and the, the whole purpose-driven land doesn't need the Southern Baptist Con Convention particularly. They, in fact, they, they really didn't make it clear and have never made it clear that they were part of the Southern Baptist Convention in any way. That was not an, that was not an important part of their identity as a church or an, an organization until the rest of us said, we don't appreciate what you're doing and we don't want to cooperate with you and you can't be part of our, uh, our Baptist group over here. That really seemed to get under his skin. Um, he is not a a person who is used to be to being told no, to be to be rejected is a, to be rejected, to be unpopular, to be turned down, is really the ultimate sin in in pragmatic market driven ministry. That's the the it it is the the mortal sin of the the church growth pragmatists to. Um, to not be uh, thought, especially in, in, in the broader Christian context, to not be looked up to and, and praised for having giant congregations and being numerically successful for, for other Christians to say, uh, we don't care about that. We think that you're a false teacher anyway, or we think that you're, you're practicing falsehoods and whatnot anyway is, I mean, it, it, it is an insult that cannot be borne. And so Rick Warren is now challenging, Saddleback Church is challenging this ruling um, because they, I, pick, I guess they really want to be in cooperation with a convention that they never really admitted they were part of to begin with. Now, I would argue that having this, this debate right now is, it's actually a very helpful thing in the same way that I, that I argue for, for the sake of doctrinal integrity and clarity, it was a good thing for the, the sort of COVID era church closures to become a thing because it, it forces us to, to reform, to reform our, our doctrinal convictions on these things. It, it forces us to know, to really take stock of why we do what we do, why we practice what we practice and where we find it in scripture. And Rick Warren is, um, for a long time was, was thought to be kind of a, a masterful, um, 
twister of scripture, somebody who is able to really take the Bible, what the Bible very clearly teaches and preaches about things. Um, excuse me, just, you know, it teaches, I guess it doesn't, it doesn't preach. We preach from the Bible, but what the Bible very clearly teaches about things and twist it and mold it to say whatever he wanted it to say. And he made this very clear in his open letter that, that to SBC churches that he distributed to all sorts of uh, media outlets. Apparently, when he, he's trying to make the claim that somehow the Southern Baptist Convention is not about a common confession, but a common mission, which is a, um, it's a contradiction logically because Christian mission is based off of Christian confession. You don't know what you should be doing ministry-wise if you don't know what you believe. And he he knows that. He's not, a, he's not a dumb guy. He just thinks that you're dumb. He thinks that we're dumb, that we can't figure out the little bait and switch that he's trying to pull. And, and it is, I mean, it is, he's trying to make it seem like women in the, the pulpit, women being pastors, being elders of churches. And he, he might even take issue with that characterization, but the, the muddying of the waters that he is doing leads us to, um, to have that battle, to have that fight of whether women should be holding that office, performing that function within a church, within the gathered assembly, uh, within the, the local body of Christ. Scripture very clearly says no. By any stretch of the imagination, a, a plain, literal, direct, easy-to-understand reading of Scripture opposes that. And so the only, the only way to get around that is by not employing a direct, literal, plain um, uh, hermeneutic. Not employing, we're going to read Scripture straightforward and literally and then apply it. Um, and so that's what he's doing right now. He's trying to muddy the waters, um, and and he has he has uh, co belligerence in this fight in a lot of uh, you know SBC institutionalist types. So JD Greer comes out and said, and and he sort of plays he plays good cop. So if you say Rick Warren's playing bad cop, I mean, how whichever one is good cop and whichever one is bad cop, they're sort of. You know, they're, they're, they're taking one, one is taking the more direct position, um, and then one is, is taking sort of the softer position. So Rick Warren comes out and says, well, the, the, the SBC has never been about forcing doctrinal conformity, which is, is idiotic because it, it's, if you say doctrinal conformity is not important for cooperation, where does it end? Well, logically speaking, it doesn't end. And history has shown us that churches and denominations and um, um, those who, who hold to common practice and common confession, which is how you would define any sort of um, denomination from a scriptural perspective anyway, um, history has shown that churches who begin to accept a redefinition of what the Bible teaches about gender roles within the church uh, never stop there. They continue to downgrade. And that's because you've taken, you've you've removed the, um, you've removed your standard. If you can't believe and practice what the Bible teaches about women being pastors, or you know, not being allowed to be pastors, how can you then? It's hypocritical for you then to hold the Bible up as a standard for anything else you're doing. 
it's a free-for-all at that point. And, and, and anybody with any sort of um, common sense, any sort of application of logic knows this. It's, it's, it's evident, it's very clearly evident, that if, you, if the Bible is not your standard, then your standard is your own preferences, and that's why you see some mainline denominations in the, in the mid-20th century all follow the same um, path when it, when it came to uh, ministerial downgrade, ecclesiastical downgrade. The, the, the pattern was the same. Um, and churches that wanted to practice other than what the Bible teaches on this left the Southern Baptist Convention. They started other Baptist associations where they could um, freewheel with Scripture all day long. Um, Rick Warren doesn't want to do that, apparently. He's, he wants to be part of a, a, uh, a cooperation, a missional, ministerial cooperation, a parachurch cooperation that practices something different. That um, at least on paper, at least on paper, the Baptist faith and message says that that the the office of pastor is only for biblically qualified men, which is what Scripture teaches. And Rick Warren doesn't want to do that, and yet he still wants to be part of the group. Why? Because he's a narcissist, and he doesn't he doesn't like taking no for an answer. Again, it is it is a supreme insult to tell a pragmatic, you know, church salesman like Warren that we don't want what you're selling. We don't we don't think that you're we don't think that you're all that. We don't think that you're everything you think you are. Um, nothing. I mean, you, you could you could say all sorts of things to Rick Warren that any Christian should take as much more offensive much more offensive. You can tell Rick Warren all day long he's preaching a false gospel. You can say that all day long and he'll brush it off like it's no big deal. But tell him that um, that he is that he and his program and his methods are not the best way to do church and that's high treason. That's the, I mean that's the worst thing that you could tell that guy. And so we're having this debate now. We're having this debate leading up to the convention. I mentioned that um, JD Greer was had 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 weighed in um, he JD Greer took took a softer position of well I I think that it, it's possible we, we probably shouldn't even be having this debate because there are women who 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 might be seeing us having this debate and feel offended by that that you'll know, feel like they're somehow being used as a pawn in this political battle and they'll be less likely to serve in their churches he tweeted out something along those lines and was just roasted for it fortunately because it was idiotic and patronizing and insulting to faithful Christian women um, but you, you can tell the, the the pragmatists on the platform because this 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 disease of pragmatism has infected the SBC as long as I've been familiar with the SBC I mean the the pragmatic market driven stick your finger in the wind and see what the world wants and then try to give it to them with a Christian spin um, methodology has been around um, almost my entire life. Uh, it really kind of came to the fore, I guess, and, and really took took on a life of its own um, in the '90s, and really came to to full bloom. Um, in in early the early 2000s uh, with the purpose driven life and and 
you know, Rick Warren had written and published The Purpose Driven Church, I want to say like 94, 95, that kind of range. And that was more like the, that was the, the book that church leaders could go to to figure out how to change their churches to implement purpose-driven, you know, market-driven methodology, um, seeker sensitivity, as we, as we call it. This, this idea that the best way to grow your church, the best way to do ministry is to uh, basically pull the, the, the lost culture uh, for what it wants and change your church to match. And like on the surface, when you say it that way, it's very clearly um, not biblical. Very clearly not biblical. But that's the trick: is is when you are when everything's on the table to be changed, you can change the underlying theology if necessary. But mo- most importantly, you can change the way things look and the way you phrase things and the way things sound and the and the the programs you do and the, I mean the the terminology you use and and. You know, even even the gospel itself becomes up for grabs in terms of uh, all of the other components you want to add to it. When all of that's on the table, then it's really hard to say, well, such and such isn't biblical because the language is up for grabs too. You can you can pull a Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton, you know, famously, I, I think this was an actual Bill Clinton quote uh, when he was being questioned about the uh, Monica Lewinsky affair and said, well, it, it depends on what the meaning of the word is, is, you know, I mean, he deconstructing the language itself, the, the vehicle through which we transmit ideas uh, back and forth to one another, when that's on the table, um, there's no guardrails. Anything can be, anything can be uh, moved in order to please the lost and broken world around us. And so it, during this time, you, you saw churches that were, and, and pastors were bragging about this, bragging about this from their sermons, from the pulpit, um, bragging about how, I mean, Stephen Furtick, you know, famously said in a sermon at one point, um, you know, that hey, once, once you're a believer, now this church isn't for you anymore. This church is for lost people, and once you're a believer, it isn't about you. The church is about you, which it's a false dilemma because church is not primarily supposed to be about either lost people or saved people. It's primarily for the worship, um, obedient worship of the Lord. That's what it's about. But church is a gathering of the saints. That's the definition. You can't, there's no such thing as church for the unchurched because lost people coming into your church... Um, they, they can't be part of the church by definition. The church is the body of Christ. It's made up of regenerate Christians, not the unregenerate, not lost people. And so while your church should be welcoming to lost people, um, while it, it, you know nobody should feel unwelcome, if you're lost, if you're blind, if you are in rebellion against God, um, you should feel uncomfortable. You should be uncomfortable in a faithful church because they're going to be preaching and teaching and doing things that are in opposition to the state of your heart, in opposition to your nature. Um, and and that, that very clear and obvious reality was challenged and removed and, um, and changed by church growth methodology. 
where they basically said, no, we, we can have our cake and eat it too. We can be a Christian church supposedly, but then, but then also change everything to please unbelievers and what basically turn the, our faith into a product to be sold and any methodology, any way that we can characterize it, any way that we can spin Jesus in order to sell him to lost people is, um, is okay. In fact, it's encouraged and, and we know that it's okay or we know that it's valid, um, by whether, whether or not we're numerically growing. And it doesn't matter in this numerical growth, the spiritual state of these people, as long as they're showing up and as long as they're, you know, doing what they're supposed to do, as long as they're doing ministry. And so, I mean, that's, so that's what you found. That's, I mean, Rick Warren has restated this in this debate, uh, or in in this, in this, um, this debate over women pastors, his basic argument is our cooperation, our membership, uh, you know, or cooperate, you know, association with the Southern Baptist convention should be based around common mission, not common confession, set aside what you believe, set aside the, the particulars of your faith and practice for the purpose of being on mission together. And I mean, how can you possibly do that logically? Well, only if you say the mission is not about faithfulness to the word of God, not about faithfulness to the Lord, but just about, uh, you know, about numeric growth. And I mean, and this is, this has almost become automatic in evangelical churches that have adopted pragmatism church growth methodology in some way, um, this idea that numeric growth equals faithfulness, equals good ministry, and numeric um, uh, shrinkage, losing losing uh, numbers, you know, numbers of people is automatically evidence that you're not doing what you're supposed to do. You're not being faithful. Your ministry is not being successful um, in the Christian sense. This has become automatic. When, when J.D. Greer was... Um, um, elected president of the SBC in, in 2018. Um, I don't remember if that was the first or second time off the top of my head, but, um, and, and they made that silly YouTube video that's now been pulled down this like too legit to quit congratulatory video. That was one of the lines in the song was look how his church is growing. Look how his church is growing. This is automatically thought to be evidence of faithfulness. Um, which, which of course is, is one part, um, one part church growth, one part, um, uh, prosperity gospel, you know, it is prosperity gospel to say that, Hey, if you're, if you're faithful, God will, will give you, um, numeric blessing. will give you success here and now in this world. That is, that is, um, automatic de facto evidence of God's blessing and of your faithfulness. That's prosperity gospel. Um, but that's just that's just how how modern evangelical churches think. The numeric growth is automatically thought to be a sign of um, you know doing ministry the right way. And so when Rick when Rick Warren says um, you know forget about common confession, forget about what you believe, it's common mission. Mission for him is just the business of institutional Christianity, the business of church. Is church incorporated for him? Um, and he's unapologetic. 
unapologetic about it, and it's, it's such a it's such a pernicious, um, such a pernicious and attractive um, idea for pastors who, you know, especially vocational ministers who earn their living as pastors, um, you know, and, and they're just being asked, hey, just change this little thing, just this little bit of leaven, no big deal, you know, just this little bit of compromise, just, I mean, don't preach about that doctrine that's going to offend the world. Um, if you can sort of avoid that, make sure your church is growing, um, yes, this is going to you know, keep your job stable and keep food on your table and all that. But, um, you know, nobody's, nobody's going to, uh, uh, automatically assume that's why you're doing it. Um, you know, it's such a pernicious and, um, and, and attractive and, uh, um, idea to accept and believe for a lot of ministers. I mean, it's just, just change a, a few little things and your church, your church can grow like Saddleback grew. Your church can have thousands of people. You can be, you know, <clears throat> you can get the influence that you need in order to do kingdom work. You can, and, and that's, that's one of the ways that pastors buy into this stuff. They convince themselves that their church and their platform is, um, necessary for God's work because we know evangelism and preaching the gospel and, um, and churches are commissioned by scripture. All of this is required by scripture. They, they take the next step and say, well, because that's the case, my church, my local context, whatever I'm doing here is, um, it's essential. It's necessary. It cannot fail or else somehow God has failed. The gospel has failed. The ministry has failed. And so I'll do whatever I need to do to keep it going because I, I'm doing it for the kingdom. That, that becomes one of the compromises. And so, I mean, that's why you find pastors like J.D. Greer saying this kind of stuff. Saying things like, maybe we should just shouldn't have this conversation at all because we're actually making women less likely to serve. Even if they don't want to be pastors, they're not going to be wanting to serve because they're, they're offended that we're even having this conversation. It's just, it's pragmatism. Pragmatism um, is uniquely appealing in American Christianity because we are we're capitalists. We're market-driven people. We 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 do business out in the open market and unapologetically. So it's very easy to adopt those principles and graft them onto the church, which is is, is exactly what church growth methodology is. So leading up to the, the meeting, leading up to, uh, this coming Tuesday, um, there is a, a rhetorical battle happening, but it looks like at least on social media that there's a lot of pushback against this idea, fortunately, because it's very clearly a lie. Um, and, and we've talked about this before, but the, the little bait and switch, the gambit, the, that Rick Warren and Saddleback pulled was the same gambit he's trying to pull in a, in a larger sense on the convention by saying, by, by separating mission and confession, by separating belief from the works that, um, that come from those beliefs, by separating the two, uh, he basically can do whatever he wants or encourage people to uh, not only do whatever they want because it doesn't have to be connected to what you believe, but also kind of believe whatever you want because um, the only thing that matters is what you do. It's deeds, not creeds, as they, as church growth pragmatists are famous for saying. Um, 
that's it's a similar gambit to what they pulled, a similar bait and switch to what they pulled with their women pastors to begin with. So they determined, Saddleback Church determined that there is a difference between the biblical office of elder and the um, the gifting or the practice of pastoring. That that's what they determined, and therefore they can say, well, these women are. Um, pastors by title, but they don't hold the office. And the only biblical restriction is um, for the office. Now, the problem with this is everybody and their uncle knows that the term pastor has for hundreds of years at this point been used synonymously with elder, synonymously with that office and that role. And of course, as Baptists, we believe that the, the function defines the office um, so it's not that you declare, oh, so-and-so is an elder, therefore they should probably do some of this stuff. It's, we say because they are doing this stuff, because they are recognized by the rest of the brethren in this church um, as exercising these roles, they are an elder. They are a pastor because they are pastoring. Not, not they, they pass, we call them a pastor, therefore they have to, they, they have to exercise um, the role of pastoring. So Saddleback Church basically said, well, these women are pastors. We're going to call them pastors. But technically speaking, technically speaking, they're not going to be holding authoritative offices as, as elders. And the problem with this is they're deliberately, they're deliberately obfuscating and confusing the language and confusing what they're doing so as to please the world. There are so many pastors out there, so many pastors out there who are what we call website orthodox. They believe um, sound doctrine. They believe orthodox uh, um, doctrine on paper. You know, it might even be on their website, their church's website or something like that. But they are all too happy. In fact, they encourage the the more um, offensive to the world doctrines to not be talked about, to not be taught. Um, I think I'd said on uh, on Twitter yesterday that uh, it's a shortcut to understanding institutional um, evangelicalism, you know, big Eva, the, those who are in, you know, practicing Christianity Incorporated. It is a shortcut to understand them if, if you understand that the more distinctively Christian the doctrine is, the more ashamed of it they are. So they, they will be all too happy to talk all the time about doctrines that that the world um, and lost people likely won't find offensive. They'll, they'll talk about Jesus being, um, being love and being loving and being accepting and loving the whole world and, and, and all that all day long. But as soon as you start talking about um, what that love actually is as scripturally defined, as soon as you start talking about um, Jesus saying, uh, uh, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness, and you know, you start talking about God having a moral standard and a standard for repentance and turning from your sins, that this is part and parcel of salvation. Salvation is, is a free gift to us because Jesus paid the price. Um, but you don't, you cannot come to Christ and bring all of the things you're supposed to leave behind all of the, all of, um, the, your old life that you leave behind. You can't come to Christ without repentance as soon as you start talking about that, well, that's offensive to the world. If you talk about Jesus, the universalist, who will accept anybody, believe anything they want to believe, practice anything they want to practice, no matter how offensive it is to God, um, if you can characterize it that way, 
that's much easier. As soon as you start getting distinctively Christian, as soon as you start drilling down to this is what the Word of God actually teaches, this is what we actually practice, we actually have standards for righteousness, God's law um, is a um, is a requirement obedience is a requirement not for salvation not for salvation but for faithfulness we look to the fruit um, um, we look to the fruit to determine uh, to the best of our ability salvation and and as soon as we start talking that way uh, they, they they're ashamed of that they don't want to talk about that if you say hey Jesus made it very clear that God created man and woman um, for marriage, God had a very specific design for human sexuality, um, and that is the standard. And Jesus reiterated that um, as He came to fulfill the law. His God's moral law still stands. Um, a lot of these pastors will dodge that. You know, again, the more distinctively Christian the doctrine the doctrine is, the more ashamed of it they are. And how can you tell they're ashamed of it? Because they sort of try to avoid talking about it at all, if possible. And they're, they're constantly trying to find ways to synergize it with the desires and proclivities of the world, the moral preferences of the world. If there's any way that they can somehow still remain uh, orthodox on paper and yet allow uh, the world to think that they're not, to not be offended by these truths of God's word, that's what they try to do. Um, You'll hear some pastors talk in the sense of saying, uh, well, we want our church to be, you know, some place where uh, somebody can feel like they belong before they believe. This is the framework that they use, that their evangelism strategy is to um, bring people into the church based off of the, the material blessings of the church. Um, the felt needs. You've heard this term used before. They preach felt needs. Well, come to Jesus because he'll, he'll address this need in your life, this felt need in your life. What, what you think you want, lost person. What is important to you in your temporal life, lost person. That, of course, the word of God uh, and salvation, there's no promise that that, that that is what Jesus came to do. In fact, Christians often, um, their, their earthly life is harder because they've picked up their cross to follow Christ. Um, they twist that on its head and they say, come to the church for the benefits of fellowship, for the benefits of feeling like you belong, the benefits of knowing you have a purpose in your life, uh, the benefits of um, you know, having, having uh, your, your finances put back in order and the, the emotional benefits of this wonderful worship service and, and how um, uh, it, can, it can make you feel like uh, a, a lot better emotionally than you did before. Come to church for those reasons. Once you feel like you belong at the church, once you, once, once you feel like you have a family here, then maybe eventually we will start um, exposing you to the actual uh, truth of God's word and the stuff that you're lost and blind um, heart wants no part of. Now, maybe once you feel like you belong and the material benefits of being here with us in this church will be too, too much to let go and God will use that to uh, change your heart to believe the gospel, to, to actually accept the, 
the countercultural truths of God's word, the harder truths, um, the things that the world hates, maybe you'll come to accept them because now at this point you feel like you belong and being part of the church is just, it's too much to let go. It's a bait and switch. It's inauthentic. It's, it's, um, it's, it's, it's dirty pool. It's bad salesmanship. It's, and this is practiced by churches um, unapologetically. I mean, this church here in Colorado that I've talked about multiple times that, that, that we used to go to practices this unapologetically as they say, um, hey, we're, we're going to bring um, unrepentant homosexuals into fellowship here at the church and leave, you know, they like to say it this way, leave, leave true spiritual transformation up to God. Which is true. True spiritual transformation is up to God, but you—that is not license to monkey with the message, to change it, to try to sort of fool somebody into the kingdom, to pretend like, hey, we're just fine with your homosexuality. And then you come here and 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 you believe you're a Christian and you believe you belong and and you you like it you like it here because we affirm you and we love you and we don't judge you and and you're just fine. Um, and then if, if God wants to, if he feels like it, he will change your heart. If he feels like it, he will save you. Um, that's not what we're called to do. We are, we are not permitted to lie, to obfuscate, to mess with the truth of God's word in order to, um, fool people into thinking that, um, they can be members of a church which is only regenerate believers. They can be regenerate. They can be Christians and still practice um, um, unrepentant immorality in these areas. Um, that's and and yet this is the methodology practiced by churches who are uh, molded in the purpose-driven, seeker-sensitive um, um, methodology. This is what they practice. This is what they this is what they believe. Which is why when you call them out. When you point at Rick Warren and you say, um, you're very clearly just uh, teaching what is in opposition to the clear word of God. Um, his only answer to that, his only retreat is, hey, uh, well, I've created a lot of numeric growth. So who are you to say that I'm doing it wrong? My numeric growth is evidence of my faithfulness. V- very clearly in opposition to our, the biblical understanding of um, wide gate versus narrow gate. The idea that the body of Christ is a remnant. The idea that there will be many who claim Christ, who say to, say to him, Lord, Lord. And he says, um, depart from me, I never knew you. You know, what Rick Warren is saying and what he's teaching and practicing is very clearly in opposition to this. Um, but that's where he has to go. That's why he's saying, that's why Rick Warren is running around saying the SBC is not about common confession, which is a lie. That's a lie. It's always been a lie. Um, you can't be a church um, in cooperation with the Southern Baptist Convention if you do not have doctrine and practice that closely identifies, I realize closely identifies as now the subjective murky waters that we're swimming, but you can't be a cooperating um, um, uh church with the Southern Baptist Convention if you don't have doctrine and practice that aligns with the Baptist faith and message. That's how it's supposed to be. Rick Warren's saying that doesn't matter. You know, we, we, we have a common mission. Well, I'm sorry, but if you preach a false gospel, as he does, very clearly outline, a false, um, easy believism that, that um, is it's decisionism. It's saying, well, you raised your hand and said, I claim Christ, therefore you're saved, which is not what the Bible teaches. 
um, you preach a false gospel, you you disrespect the word of God, you you, you practice and teach something that's a very clearly opposed by the word of God. Um, we don't have a common mission. Rick Warren and Saddleback Church are not um, evangelizing with the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're not preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're preaching a false gospel, which leads to a false Jesus, which, which is why we don't want to cooperate with them. We don't want to have anything to do with a false gospel. There is no common mission with churches that preach a false gospel with um, those who we would have every reason to believe are not brothers and sisters in Christ. So it's good that this is happening. It's good that this battle is happening. But uh, I I would say that um, depending on how the convention votes um, to overturn the decision of the executive committee or retain it will... It is a it's a watershed moment for the Southern Baptist Convention, and there have been several of those for sure. And I think that uh, more likely than not, the convention will continue to de- decline and and fall apart because it has been just infiltrated by institutional pragmatism on an on a level that uh, is just like very similar to how it was before the uh, conservative resurgence uh, several decades ago. So I, I I'm not holding out a lot of hope. I mean, God will do as as God will do. And if he wants, if, if God wants to put the Southern Baptist convention back together as a force for good, um, he certainly will. Um, but if we're sitting there on Tuesday and the gathered convention says, yeah, Saddleback can still be in, uh, we don't care about women preachers. Churches will leave. Um, and I mean, scores of churches will leave the Southern Baptist convention over this and they should, they probably should have already. But they certainly this will this will make it uh, apparent that the the member churches of the convention and, and the, the the messengers um, do not have biblical doctrinal standards, and that will be a sad thing to see. If that happens, we'll be praying for that not to happen, and for in every situation for truth to prevail, which would entail um, continuing to not. Um, cooperate with Saddleback Church. Anyway, thank you for listening to the Bully Pew Podcast. For all of the troublemakers here at Protestia.com, we appreciate it very much. Um, You have questions about this or anything else that we've put out there, we are not hard to get a hold of, and uh, we welcome uh, all open and honest and good faith discussion about uh, these or any other theological matters. Have a good rest of of your day, um, come say hi if you if you uh, you see us over at the at the convention next week, and um, safe travels if you're getting out there. And uh, if you're not coming out, we will try to keep you informed about what's going on, um, and and try to stay stay on the ball for those of you who are interested. We'll talk to you again real soon. As always, semper reformanda.